everybody's coming in. All right. And I see somebody's on their iPhone. I do have Jessica, Joanne, Elizabeth, Carol. Um, I love I love seeing everybody that's coming on the webinar. We have about 130 people that have registered. We'll probably honestly end up with about, I'm going to say a small group, like 25 of us are going to show up. So this is your webinar. If you have any questions, you can you can't shout them out because we we've silenced you, but you can put them in the chat box. So here's how you do your chat box: move your mouse, go back down to the bottom of the of the screen. You're going to see the green share button. Um, go to the left, and you see the chat box. Open up the chat box, and if you would tell me your name and where you're from, we love to see where different people are from in the country. So feel free to chime in and tell us where you're from, because then we know you can work it. Um, we also today are going to be talking about running your best, which is very targeted area, which is kind of fun. And as winter approaches and people are less active, an emphasis on cardiovascular exercise for heart health is more important than ever. So our panel of experts are going to talk on, about proper training techniques, how to limit injuries, how to optimize their performance, and we're just basically going to pick their brain. We've got my friend, Brian Bettendorf, love Brian. He's got a master's in management and kinesiology. Um, we're waiting to see what else he gets his degree in, right? Um, he's trained as a clinical exercise physiologist, and after 20 years of experience in coaching and training, including founding and operating a chain of physical therapy and fitness facilities. So he's very well-rounded in the industry. He has a graduate degree in management and now partners with fitness, sporting goods, and health and wellness companies to grow their businesses. So this is really cool. He's really out there to help our industry. And then we've got Joshua Craddock. Um, both Brian and Joshua have been repeated presenters at our Mania conventions. Um, Joshua, you've also led a lot of our um, tai Chi sessions at the at the conference. He's been working in the health and fitness and wellness industry full-time since he graduated from Towson University, and he has a degree in exercise science and sports studies. He's been teaching movement and mindfulness for 22 years. He has an extensive experience in yoga, qigong, and meditation. Strength, see, I pronounced it correctly. Yeah, are you impressed? You all impressed? Yeah, yeah. Don't get too excited. I'll screw something up later. And conditioning coach. He coaches young athletes. He's also a personal trainer, group exercise instructor. He's taught boxing, martial arts, he, and he's a running coach. So we're really excited to have him. Sarah, you've presented at Manias, and we're very happy to have you come all the way from Canada up north. Um, and she's a registered kinesiologist, clinical exercise physiologist, and group fitness instructor. She's got also the magic 22 uh, years in the fitness industry. She graduated with a, a degree in science um, in human kinetics with a minor in biology. She's the owner of uh, Continuum Fitness and Movement Performance, a multidisciplinary clinic in Ottawa. Um, and she's a former international fitness competitor and nationally ranked race walker. So, and she's a regular expert on morning live TV in Ottawa. So that's very cool. So we got these really great people with us and we're going to talk about running and I'm Sarah Cooperman. I'm the CEO of SCW and the founder of Water in Motion and Seat Fitness. 
And I'm excited to be here because I am an avid walker and I am an ex-runner. And I want to get back to running. So I think this is really, really cool. Brian, I'm going to start with you. And what are the most common injuries or pain points that you find in your clients that are running? Yeah. So with runners, there's a few common injuries. I think Achilles tendonitis is one of the more common ones. And that gets split pretty evenly between men and women. Uh, Whereas there are a couple that tend to be seen a bit more in women, that includes iliotibial band syndrome and general patellofemoral pain. And so you get about probably 60% in women and you know 40% in men, and then stress fractures of the tibia or other parts of the body. I'd say those are the four most common ones. What if I'm gonna dive into one of those? I'm gonna say, yeah. what is with a stress fracture? How does that happen? Why does it happen? It's happened in two of my children. Yeah. And then how long do you have to wait for the recovery? Yeah. Uh, so I think any injury that we just mentioned is an overuse injury, right? So the tissue isn't adapting to the stress that it's under. And so with a tibial stress fracture or, or any stress fracture, I think how long it takes can also depend on how long you've been ignoring it. Uh, but for the most part, I think you could generally put it in a range of eight to 12 weeks uh, before things are kind of back to normal. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, they they put my son in a boot. Yeah. Um, and they had him in a boot for six weeks um, and the crutches. So he, yeah. you know, so he really stayed off of it. He's yeah. a hockey player. It's funny um, because like the, the bone needs loading to adapt, but they'll often put you in a boot because they don't trust you to load it properly. So they're much better off just taking you off of it completely. Right, right. And uh, he's my son. So you, you make your draw your conclusions on that one. Um, what do you find to be those injuries, Joshua? And how do you deal with them or work with your clients to help overcome them or prevent them? So foot pain is another big one too. And like, I mean, through that whole lower chain and lower back pain, a lot of times too, I've found can be agitated when people are logging a lot of miles. Um, I kind of go back to stride mechanics and like gait assessment. That's one of the big things. So how are you running? I'm just a big proponent of that in general, not necessarily what you're doing, but how you're doing it. Um, and then we can start to maybe make some adjustments from there. Obviously, this is one of those things we always want to say, but referring out, if someone's coming to you and then you're having them on a program and they have an injury and it's not really able to go away, we need to stay within our scope of practice. I always want to, you know, we always want to just say that out loud at least once during anything, make sure we're saying that. That would be like, it's like I know some of us are clinical, right? So they might actually have that, but that's not for me. So just for those of us in the call, but a lot of times it's just like, oh, this is a little sore. Oh, this is a little tight. Oh, this is a little nag. Right. So then we can go to some mobility drills, um, obviously uh, foam rolling and self-massage, self-myofascial release can be very effective too. Um, so a lot of the China traditional techniques of any kind of overuse injuries um, or any kind of repetitive stress injuries can be really effective with that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of it is like, where what are you doing when you run and then how can we maybe come back to that and modify it or improve it and Sarah what do you see what do you see as the 
the most common injury and pain points that you find with your runner clients? Well, I find a lot of the similar issues that Josh and Brian have mentioned, feet, knees, hips, back, um, you know, tendonitis, et cetera. However, I think, I think one thing that's important to note is that, you know, if someone is coming in with a knee issue, which we have a lot of people that come in with knee issues, rarely is it an actual knee issue, right? Like it's likely coming from the pelvis or the foot or the, the gait mechanics. So I think, you know, in general, taking a global approach to, you know, the pain, like instead of being myopic with like, oh, I'm going to look at foot or knee or back or hips, can you take a step back and look at things from a global perspective? Oftentimes we can link something up or down uh, the chain. Yeah. And before we turn the camera on, we, you know, I, I, I always like, I love these webinars because I get to ask questions about myself, you know? Um, so I'm telling you, uh, Jessica, Joanne, Elizabeth, Carol, just throw, feel free to throw questions in the chat box. These guys are experts. And if you are experiencing anything or your clients are, or you have special questions, um, throw them in the chat box and we'll, we'll address them. But Sarah, you brought up that, how do we assess somebody? Like if it's referred pain from someplace else, that's why the knees hurt. That's why the lower back hurts. How do we assess that? And then, and Joshua, I'm definitely going to come back to you because I loved what you said before we turned the, uh, the video on. Yeah. So in terms of assessing, I think, um, you know, we're, we're like, my assessment is 90 minutes. So I'm taking the time to take a thorough history taking and looking at movement screens and muscle tests and looking to see if there are any cracks in the foundation. But I think maybe some easier points to, to look at would be, how is their pillar? How is their single leg stability? And running is essentially a unilateral activity. So how are they standing on one leg? Do they drop in a hip? Do they cave in on the foot? Um, you know, can we assess their, their, how their, you know, their, their stance leg, what about their hip stability and, and core stability, um, maybe their foot intrinsic. So if, you know, you don't have those assessing skills, maybe breaking down the movement of running into its little parts and looking to see if there are any sort of movement deficiencies there. Oh, that's, that's key. And, um, I brought up <laughs> before we turned it on, I brought up that, I went in to buy some new shoes and I wanted to get those hokas because, you know, I, I swear, I feel like I'm wearing high heels. The, the sole is so thick and cushiony. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to feel wonderful. So I went into the store, I went into Runner's World and you know where they film you. So I'm like, oh, this is fabulous. I'm going to get filmed and I'm running and I'm walking and I'm in perfect form. There's no way they can assess me because I'm in this perfect form. So um, Josh, you brought up a very, I thought very creative way to approach that with assessing your clients and their gait. Yeah, so uh, usually I won't even tell anybody what I'm looking for necessarily. So similar to what Sarah said, of just like, oh, I have a full comprehensive intake or assessment process. Some of it is just, a lot of it is just discussion. And then a lot of times based on the discussion, then I'm gonna go in and pick the things, the screens that I'm gonna have them do. So I don't formally use FMS, uh, functional movement screening for those that might be familiar with it, but I take some pieces, things from that, and then just things that I like to do. Um, and I don't tell them what I'm looking for. I'll just say, hey, jog down and back three times and I'll just watch. And then I'll say, skip. 
And a lot, a lot of people can't even skip. Even athletes, sometimes they go, uh, geek, geek, and they kind of get stuttered up and they can't skip. Oh, if you can't skip, well, then clearly your propulsion is going to have a little bit of an issue, right? And we'll pay attention to that. Say bear call, right? And then we can see how they're moving with their opposite arm and leg, you know, um, contralateral movement. Um, <laughs> and then say, stand on one foot, like Sarah said, say uh, hip hinge, right? And do single leg hip hinge. And you can take so much away from that. And you don't say to somebody, hey, I'm assessing you right now to make sure that your spine is neutral. Hey, I'm going to see how long you can stand on one foot. I don't place any out that I just propose challenges to people. And especially with athletes, they might not per se be runners, but anybody who's performing in any way, I guess maybe not like ping pong or some things, right? There might be some sports, right? But most of those people are runners in some sense, right? They at least have to run field hockey or whatever sport, soccer. They are runners in maybe a non-traditional sense. So we still get that component part. Yeah, we were talking about the activities of daily living. Most people walk, and Sarah, I know that you're a race walker. Um, most people walk to places. They only run when there's an emergency and they have to, they have to get somewhere quickly. Um, Brian, how do you screen your clients? And do you use a, a particular screening that maybe somebody can Google and get the, the, um, the layout and the details of that? Yeah. Uh, to answer the last part of the question, the short answer is no, I don't have anything like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, what I do will depend if somebody's coming to me with with an injury or without an injury. And if they don't have an existing injury or anything that's problematic, there's typically very little that I'll do as an assessment that is really specific or targeted because I'll just get them running or get them movement moving. And you kind of see things as they go from there. Um, and I do think that some of what we're doing in the early stage with clients is is trying to figure out is what we're seeing a skill issue or a true limitation in what they can do because they just might have never have done that type of movement that we're asking them to do. Um, but if somebody's coming uh, with an injury, then I'll get okay. a bit more specific. But if it, as it relates to running, uh, as Joshua had mentioned, I would get them running first and just kind of get an idea of, of how they're moving and see if there's any adjustments we can make there. But I think, you know, any type of injury is is really the focus is to figure out how to calm stuff down. And so some of it's tying into what what is most important to them or what do they believe in? And that might be some soft tissue work or heat or cold or massage, whatever. And then it's a matter of building stuff back up. And that's a super simple way of saying we have a ton of ways to do this. And that could be through, uh, you know, single leg stance activity, through resistance training, through body weight work. Um, I, I think the stuff can, I think we can often be a little bit more general on these things than specific and get very similar results. And I think that's the beauty of this. I think we all have different styles, but we can all get to the same outcome with people. And Sarah, I see you nodding your head. Can you please contribute? Oh, I love what Brian's saying. I think it's absolutely right. There are multiple paths to get to the same end goal, right? Like one way isn't always the right way. There are multiple right ways. And chances are any of the, you know, as long as the movement quality is there and the movement's clean, the options are endless. 
Yeah, but the only thing I'll push back on is this idea of movement quality, only from a standpoint of I've seen some really ugly runners who are at the top of their game, like you know, Priska Jeptu took the bronze medal in the in the in the marathon, and and her gait is absolutely horrendous. And I'm not suggesting that we let people go all wonky all the time. But again, this comes back to what I commented earlier, that this is the ability of the body to tolerate stress. And if it's built up over time, sometimes people are just made a little bit differently and their running is going to look terrible as heck. And it's just the way it's going to be. And that's their normal. And so there's that yeah, art think, of the yeah. whole thing, right? Yeah, everyone's normal can look a little different. And yeah. I think as long as we're staying within their threshold and their ceiling, uh, there could be variances in form and technique. I, total, I totally agree with yeah. that. Now, Sarah, how did you switch from being a runner to being a walker? I actually do both. I love okay. running and I love walking. And I just, I just love the variety and the, and the balance and the mix. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. And do you do, I know that Canada has a lot of different requirements as far as fitness being regulated and more affiliated with governmental rules. Um, do you do a park queue? Do you, if, is there a requirement? Is there, are there any forms that you might recommend? Yes. So through the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology, there are PARQs and through the College of Kinesiologists of Ontario, there are other forms. Yes. So we are a regulated health professional. professional. Right. That's pretty interesting. Um, and how do you screen your clients um, when you're trying to assess them and figure out, OK, let's start here. Let's do this. How, are, how am I going to help you? So using a combination of, you know, what works for you. So like I pull pieces of the FMS, I actually use a lot of the reconditioning um, screens and assessments, and I use neurokinetic therapy as assessing screens, um, but muscle testing, movement screens, and movement screens don't have to be fancy. It can be watching someone stand on one leg. How do they flex their spine? How do they extend their hip? Um, and, you know, I think there could be multiple ways to assess hip extension or a single leg stance. Um, yeah, and, and then breaking down movement. So where I, you know, looking at are there motor control issues or is something a software or a hardware issue? Um, you know, how can we sort of break things down and, and build things back up again? Oh, interesting. Um, what exercises do clients perform to reduce pain and injury? And I guess what I'm asking about is, I mean, we didn't even talk about this, but are there special strength training techniques or pieces of equipment that you guys might recommend? Joshua, do you work with outside pieces of strength equipment or do you typically just work within a person's individual body weight? No, uh, actually, I what this is widely... Um, like research or whatever, that strength training can be extremely effective, not only for injury resilience, but also for performance increase in endurance athletes. So, um, because if you think about it, every time that your foot is striking the ground, that's the propulsion, that's the rebound force back, right? So if you can strike the ground with more force, more efficiently, then you're going to be able to increase that over time. So definitely strength training is critical and load can be, I mean, obviously there's a point of diminishing return, like with all things, right? And it's not gonna be the same way you're gonna approach a power athlete, but um, yes. And so I think lunges um, are huge because lunging is basically just a really long stride, right? Um, I think 
single leg bridge or bridging just in general, any, any glute engagement exercise, donkey kicks are awesome. Anything that's getting glutes to fire, especially as a primer, but in general strengthening too. that stop step ups. Um, you know, if you're stepping up on an elevated surface and pushing driving, then when you step your foot out in front and drive, right, that's going to create that same kind of force. So a lot of, you don't got to go too far outside the box. A lot of stuff that we're already doing, programming it in, but a lot of times these endurance athletes, or if it's not even just an athlete, but just people who like to run their ratio of strength training to cardio training is like pretty substantially in favor of cardio, right? This is a stereotype generalization, but generally, right? So, you know, you're like, oh, these are exercises that I program for people that you program or that you do or that your average client does, but those people a lot of times might not be doing them. So getting them to incorporate that as a more readily part of back their mileage off, I'm a big believer in like minimal effective dosage. Like, do you really need to be running yada yada amount of miles? Like, what if you took one of those days away and added in some loading, um, you might see some results that you weren't even expecting. Um, so, you know, those are some ideas. Oh, yeah, and you can see why people, they train in the way they're going to perform. You know, if they're going to be doing a cardiovascular activity, they're going to be training in a cardiovascular format. Um, Brian, do you, how do you integrate strength training into your program? Yeah. Well, I think for for any client, we're at least trying to build on the foundation of of general health first. So there's is to use the term that Josh mentioned, this minimum effective dose, right? If we could get in, you know, two days a week of at least one set of that standard eight to twelve reps to volitional fatigue, then we're going to at least meet that minimum dose for people. Then if we're thinking about, hey, we want to actually do this to help with our running then I think, you know, 20 years ago, everybody was doing high rep activity for the endurance sports. So now they're saying, ah, let's add in the maximal strength work. And it seems to be, if we can build up that maximal strength and add in some plyometrics, we're probably good. So I do use the lunges and whatnot that Joshua mentioned, but I'd, if, I, if the people can tolerate it, I'd add in, you know, deadlifts or a single leg type squat to build in some of that strength probably add in a little bit extra work on the hamstrings. Uh, you know, the research isn't really strong on the resistance training, helping with injury prevention, but it can help from a performance perspective. And it just seems to be one of those things worthwhile adding in. And then finally, if somebody has an injury that they're trying to manage, especially something like a tendonitis, and you really want to target the load around that, that's when I might add in some isolated stuff like the you know, heel raises for an Achilles tendonitis or even a leg extension for, for a patella tendonitis to try and get some specific loading. And the loading is with body weights, with, with just the person's body weight and them holding weights. Or um, which ones? Well, you talked about the lunges and you talked about, you know, like the deadlifts and the... Um, yeah. yeah, how much load would depend on the person, right? But I I... Typically would err on the side, you know, I'd probably go anywhere, a range of, you know, six to 20 repetitions, but I think you want to spend some time down in that lower range that, you know, get that fatigue in five, six, seven reps, you know, mm -hmm. feel like you still have one or two reps in reserve on that one to help build some of that maximal strength. And then with the lower load activities where you might be hitting a little bit higher reps, you could 
you could add in some of that plyometric work there also. And how do you think the plyometric work is going to assist with muscle development and and just better performance in their running? Yeah, from a performance perspective, it seems to help with uh, both running economy, um, but and also that kind of uh, finishing speed. If somebody is more of a competitive runner, you know that final you know hundred yard sprint to the finish line, uh, you can tell who's been doing their strength training and who hasn't been in that final stretch. Oh, that's interesting. And Sarah, if, if compare the walking training to the running training, um, do you do the plyometrics with walkers as well? Do you, you know, how do we change the emphasis for, let's say, lower leg? Well, I mean, they're both linear patterns and they both utilize hip extension. So training hip extension, training unilateral stability, so single leg stability, whether that's a single leg squat, single leg deadlift, uh, you know, a, a lunge pattern are all are all going to be great tools, core stability, hip stability. And then for some people, it's looking at foot intrinsics. So, you know, how are the feet sort of absorbing and, and, and modulating loads? Uh, do we need to work on, you know, those, those deep muscles in the feet to help with stabilizing and, you know, managing ground forces? Um, yeah. So may, maybe to a lesser degree, but certainly still loading within someone's threshold is key. And what do you think of the, of the, and Josh, I'll get to you in one second. Sarah, what do you think of barefoot running? I think that if someone yeah, really, is currently running, lightly, right? <laughs> if someone's currently running in the 10 mil drop shoe, it, you can't go from a 10 mil to a zero drop shoe. I mean, I think it needs to be a very progressive transition to a minimalist shoe and not everyone can sort of manage uh you know, uh, uh, working in a zero drop shoe. I run in a zero drop shoe, but I walk in a three mil drop just because of my heel strike and I'm a midfoot striker runner, but a, but a heel foot striker walker. So I think, I think it, you know. All right. You've got to explain what you're talking about. The, the three mil, the one mil. The... Uh, okay. So like the differential between the cushioning and the heel and the, and the toe. So a 10 mil drop uh. is going to put someone in a higher lift. Whereas a zero drop puts someone in, in a, in a true minimalist sort of shoe. All right. And so what you said was you want to put somebody in more of a drop for running? Or well, no, I think it's, it's very uh, specific to, mm -hmm. I, and I think if you're currently running in a thick supportive shoe, you can't transition to a zero drop right away. It takes time for tissues to adapt to different. So it, it's a, it's certainly a process getting from a thick shoe to a minimalist shoe doesn't and happen overnight. Why do they, I know runners, my, my son ran in college, ran a lot. He ended up being captain of the track team and the cross country team. He was, he was the one with the stress fracture. Anyway, um, uh, how, why do they have, as they get into competition, they want them in the flattest shoe possible? It's light. It's, it's light. And it helps them go faster, Brian. Well, the idea is that the with, with the lighter shoe, yeah, I mean, shoe weight is one of the things that will impact uh, time to fatigue. Interesting. And Josh, please share. I apologize for not coming to you quicker. 
But actually, it was per is clairvoyance, like because I was going to say something about shoes. Um, so it was exactly perfectly timed. Um, so I don't want to get on too. I don't want to get too much of like me, I right. Um, but Sarah said something that I really liked uh, because I'm just in general a big barefoot proponent, and I'm not saying that I'm that for everybody. And I'm not, and Brian said something in the pre thing that I want to come back to, which was that everything is individualized. He even made a comment earlier about movement quality sometimes can be tossed out the window. If somebody's doing something and they don't have pain, why are we so obsessed with their movement quality? Which I like, you know, we could have a whole discussion about that too. But anyways, I, I like this idea of like personalizing, but in general, right, we kind of have to somehow speak on certain things. Foot intrinsics is so, 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 so important. The strength of people's arches, this, the, all the toe drills. I'm a big believer in all that stuff and ankle stability as well. And what people do is, and it's funny because you made the joke about the hookahs and I want to make sure I right now say I'm not by any means talking negatively about hookah or anything like that. And probably there's a million people out there that that's an appropriate shoe for. But for a lot of people, they say, I have to have all this support. It's like putting a Band-Aid on, right? They're just sort of, they're not going back and fixing the the root, right? They're fixing it with the symptom of like, oh, if I put on this moon shoe, then my foot doesn't hurt, but they don't actually fix this. They don't re-strengthen. They don't re um, what's the word I'm looking for? Recalibrate, right? Their way that their foot strikes, the way that their foot, you know, distributes weight and rolls weight as it hits, et cetera, et cetera. So well, that was such a great, astute comment from Sarah on foot intrinsics and, you know, balance and stability and alignment and that kind of stuff, because people may not even, they might be ignorant of it, or they might just be saying like, I, I want to run, I want to run, I want to run. And eventually they might not be able to run anymore because they never actually went back and went to the root of the issue. You know, we talk about that kind of stuff with nutrition right. a lot and with other things too. So fixing the right. core. Yeah, yeah, going back and fixing the problem. And the interesting thing is sometimes we get these heavy cushioned shoes and it actually creates, you think it's going to help you run, but it creates instability. And and that's that's difficult. It's like standing on a on a BOSU rather than standing on a hard surface. Like people even do one-legged tree stance in yoga and they step off the mat now the yoga mat is is one eighth of an inch thick don't tell me that's making you you know destabilizing you so you have to stand barefoot on the solid floor um do you think that 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 there's been so much progress with all the various shoes out there um what do you think what do you think about that Did anybody have a comment on that like Brian, you're you're kind of smirking. Okay. <laughs> well, it's it's tough because you know we talk about all these advances from the shoe companies, but they haven't lowered the rates of running related injuries at all, right? So shoes probably don't play as much of a role, or we just haven't figured out how to individualize it yet. And at some level, it still comes back to the simple comment of find a shoe that feels comfortable for you. And I think as you as you go along your running career, like we all get our favorite shoe that we cry over when it goes, uh, when it, when they no longer make that version anymore. Um, but there are some general trends that we can look at, like the Hoka's tend to work well for people who, who have had issues with their feet because it lessens the load through the foot, but it does increase 
the loading through the knee and the hip. Uh, whereas you take something like the, you know, the the um, a, a minimalist type shoe can put more load on the Achilles, but less load on the knee. So you can play around with foot strike and shoe type based upon you as an individual, but to find the, the perfect shoe, I don't think they've individually tuned those yes, yet for us uh, mere mortal consumers. <laughs> um, we've, Joanne actually asked a question. How long is a runner's career? Um, is there an average age or can someone run until they're 100 and beyond? In other words, is there a point where you see things and encourage walking more than, versus running? I could have written that myself, okay? <laughs> um, Sarah, what do you think? You're the you're the combo girl. <laughs> I think it depends. I think it depends. I certainly think people, if they want to run, I think they could certainly work towards running. Like, I, you know, I think running is like my brother-in-law, um, Ray Zahab, took up running in his late 30s. And shortly after he took up running, ran across the entire Sahara Desert. Like, I, I certainly think it's it's capable and nothing is impossible. Um, I just think for most people, it's important to do what you love and, and find what you can do consistently. So if you can run consistently, great. If you can walk consistently, great. Yeah, that's what we were talking about, what type of stretches um, that you want people to do. Like, I, I want I want a quick fix on my knee issues or, you know, I've got a, I got a neuroma on one of my feet and they're like, oh, you want to operate on the neuroma. And I'm like, what does that mean? That means that we actually burn your nerve so that it, you just don't feel the pain. I'm like, well, if you burn my nerve, how am I going to balance? How am I going to walk? You know, it's, it's interesting the way they look at different types of recovery. Is there something that, again, I know it's an individual situation, but is, are there certain recovery techniques that seem to be working well? Um, Josh, who, what do you see that works well with, let's say yourself and your clients? General, uh, what am I trying to say here? Um, pliability might be a good word or like general suppleness of your body, right? Maintaining a range of motion is a good one, right? So yoga is a, an obvious kind of answer. Again, I'm partial on that, right? Coming back to your own biases. Um, but like, what do you, if, if, if you're stiff, you're like, oh, I can only lift, I, I have no dorsiflexion in my foot or I have no plantar flexion in my foot. So things that are creating blood flow, right? Creating ROM, range of motion, creating um, elasticity. That's another really good word. That was probably what I was looking for the whole time, right? And so that's a really good one, uh, yoga. And then also SMR, self-myofascial release, any kind of that kind of stuff goes a long, long, long way. Also- and Consistency. Consistency. And one more is dosage, right? Or I said minimum effective dishes or just ratios of work to rest. If you really, really, really want to run, you can run. You might not be able to run every day, 
right? Or you might not be able to run X number of miles every day. And that's going to, again, be different for every person. And that's with a coach you can prescribe and start to work that out based on the number of miles you've logged up at that point in your life. It's funny because Sarah said that thing about her brother. I've actually seen a lot of people who start running later, they run just fine because they don't have 40 years of miles logged on their legs already. They, these older people like, oh, I got into running when I was 40. It's like, yeah, you didn't have this for the last, you didn't start when you were 12, like I did, you know what I mean? And so it like kind of adds up. So you, yeah. so anyways, the dosage is a huge thing. What is overtraining for you? It's going to be different for each person, but you might only be able to run three days a week and your body feels great. And then you start doing four and like, Ooh, it started to ache low in my hips. So I'm going to switch that fourth day back to yoga or back to strength training or whatever. And Brian, what do you see as one of the most effective recovery techniques? I think 90% of of all of it's going to come up with three things, right? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting in the right food? And then you know, it comes back to the kind of training, not only the, the actual programming of days per week and intensity, but then also the internal programming of your ability to pay attention to your body and know when it's okay to push it and know when it's time to dial back. And that's a hard one, but uh, it, uh, it's a, something you have to learn as you go along. After that, then I think when you start looking at things like self-myofascial release or percussive therapy or electrical stim or cold water immersion, to me, it is like a giant buffet. Like, I don't really care what you do. If you want the eggs and potatoes, get them. Somebody else might want bacon and cheese. I don't care. Figure out what you like and go with it. Interesting. Is Sarah? love that. That's so funny. I love that. Um, yeah, I agree with, with all of that. I think the recovery strategies are key, but also, you know, as we age, we may not be able to just go and run. Like I'm a big fan of priming the system, you know, some dynamic mobility drills prior to a run, some activation drills prior to uh, whether that's just for motor control or the muscular system, like glutes, core, waking things up before we go. Um, and then, you know, the rolling, the, the stretching, the, uh, you know, all of those, all of those things and, and ensuring that you're, you're not overtraining. So, you know, paying attention to, to that as well. Paying attention to it. I think it seems like, and I'm okay, I'm doing this big broad thing, but it seems like it's, Overtraining is is and not getting enough recovery um, really seems to be one of the just major causes of injury because it's a very repetitive activity, um, and you need time to you need time to recover. Um, and if we wanted to build performance for our clients. Um, the best way that you see to build performance. I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna start with you, Sarah. What's the best way to build increase somebody's performance for running? Um, I certainly think, you know, I, I don't think I, I think people need to take like to focus on the strength element and loading, you know, appropriately, programming purposefully. So if you're a runner, um, you know, strength train on one leg focus on, you know, alignment and core and hip stability, um, you know, those, those types of things, um, you know, training within your threshold. Um, and, and we can even talk about things like, uh, you know, 
someone was mentioning overstriding, but but ensuring that you're landing with your foot under your center of mass, like getting your ribs over your hips, um, you know, ensuring that you're not landing with your foot. Like I had, I had a client, I've, I had only seen him for two weeks and he, and all we did was sort of shift his technique. He was hinging back at his back and we just got him to stack his ribs over his hips. And he emailed me like two weeks later and said, I ran a, a PB at 5k. I ran like a personal best time in my 5k just from getting my positioning optimized he was landing softer and quieter and could sort of like have better propulsion from there you know you can recruit those hip extensors and those core muscles when things are sort of stacked a little bit better so um yeah a mixture of all those things okay all right oh, i like that um brian um what do you okay I'm getting close. I'm looking here. I'm, I'm, we're getting close to the end. Can you give me kind of a, a closing overall on, on running your best? Key things you want people to think about and do. Yeah, key things I want people to do is to uh, uh, progress slowly, uh, be consistent, uh, sleep well, eat well, and have fun. Okay, got it. Short and sweet. Josh? Um, so I'm gonna. I said this in the part before. Um, one of the things that I think people can do is make running more mindful. So make running something that you're more involved in. You're paying attention to the way that your body's moving. You're paying attention to the way that you're breathing. You're paying attention to how you feel on your run, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many people who are like, I feel like crap today but i still went out and ran right and brian mentioned that a little bit earlier you know of like and so i i think creating an element of mindfulness creating um checking in right caring about what you're doing i said this earlier too like how you're running not just how much you're running or where you're running or what you know what what how you know that kind of stuff right how fast you're running right that kind of stuff is very very how far you're running like yeah how you are up you brought up earlier said a lot of people just shove their earbuds in and they go, but there is value in that as well, because yes, it's almost no like it, it, it is that meditative almost rhythm. I think Sarah, you were going to say something about that because you were approaching the emotional um, aspect or the meditative aspect of running. Well, I love, I think, both can be great. I, I don't personally run with music. I, I, I find I like to focus on my body, but I know lots of people who love, who can't run without something. Mm. Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, that's great. And Josh, I didn't want to interrupt you. Did you, did you want to, I want to make sure you were able to finish your, your, your thought on being mindful. It is, there's such a fine line to it. And here's what I would say. If someone's body feels great and they're doing it for the meditative aspect of it, then that's fantastic. But what I have found a lot of times with my work with people is that they want to run faster, but their body and, and uh, their, their body can't hold up to the training adapt. It doesn't adapt as fast as they want it to. So then they get tendonitis, they get itises of all sorts, right? These overtraining injuries. So if you can progress, start slow and progress is one of the things that Brian said, but what, it, what are you doing? 
right? And that's, again, the why, right? The mindfulness aspect of it. Why are you doing this? Are you doing it to check out? Well, then, yeah. But how long is that going to last before the pain in your Achilles tendon makes you check back in, right? And so that balance of cardio, musculoskeletal, neurological, blah, blah, blah. Has to it's got to it's gotta be a balance. It's got to be a balance. Well, what I'm going to do with you guys is I'm right now sharing my screen. This is our uh, convention that we have coming up, which is the Personal Trainer Apex. It's actually this Saturday, December 10th. We've got a lot of sessions, a lot of trainers, 30 sessions, 15 trainers, 15 continuing education credits. And um, it's you can get your recordings for 30 days. Very cool. So I thank you all for joining me today. And thank you, Beth, for running this webinar and hurting us cats. And I wish you guys a very happy holiday if I don't connect with you next Thursday. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thank Have a great you. evening. Thank you. Bye.